there were many messages I prayed over for a homecoming service. I knew there would be some guests and, and, and different individuals here today. And uh, I honestly had five messages that I had kind of written out and diagrammed and was praying over. But there was one I couldn't get out of my head. The scripture says in the King James, that verse I read to the children, it says, Wilt thou be made whole? And uh, Bella, when she went to the fair, got a Gideon New Testament. And now normally at nighttime we read a storybook or a picture book. Well, Bella has this New Testament. She carries it everywhere and she asked me to read from this New Testament. So we started reading in the book of John and we would read a chapter a night from the book of John. And we got to the chapter 5. And uh, I was reading about this man at the pool of Bethesda. And I got to this scripture and I read this to Bella. Wilt thou be made whole? And that just choked me up. And I believe there's a message in here. And I believe God's going to speak to somebody through it today. I want you to turn to your scriptures to John chapter 5. If you get there, say word. If you don't have your Bible, say nerd. I'm just kidding. Let's read God's word today in John chapter 5. It says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Wilt thou be made whole? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another person steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was a Sabbath. It just so happens that today also is a Sabbath. And I believe someone's going to be made whole today as well. I looked up the meaning of that Hebrew word, Bethesda. It means house of grace or house of mercy. Think about this. However many years ago, some men have brought this paralyzed man to this pool called the house of grace. So the men brought him there, but he had no man to put him in. How many of you know that someone can invite you to church? Someone can invite you to a Sunday school lesson. Someone can invite you to the house of God. But unless Jesus shows up, there's no healing. So this man had been laying there. He had been sick 38 years. 
I'm about to take this off. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go on this side. It's swolled up, so we'll hold it there. Hey, praise God, we're ready to go. Can you hear me? Amen. They carried him there, and he'd been waiting. He'd been sick for 38 years. And then Jesus walks up on the scene, and Jesus asks him a question. Do you want to be made well? Now, what an ironic question for Jesus to ask a sick man to be sick for 38 years. Do you want to be made well? Because you know what? He had been laying there. Evidently, people had been bringing him food. People had been supplying him with his needs. He was laying beside a, a, a fancy pool. Like the Roman baths. Sunbathing. Had company. So Jesus looks at him in his condition and says, listen, are you going to stay there or do you want to be made well? Here's what I want to look at today. Number one, Jesus does not ask about his condition. Jesus didn't sit there and say, hey, hey, tell me about your infirmity. What's it been like? To be sick for 38 years. Jesus doesn't even ask that. Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't even ask him, do you want to be healthy? He asks him, do you want to be whole? Jesus wasn't referring just to his physical condition. Jesus was referring to his spiritual condition. I looked up that word whole to see what it means. And it means pure, sound, and wholesome. So here's a sick man, and Jesus is asking him, listen, he doesn't say, do you want to be healthy? He says, do you want to be pure? Do you want to be wholesome? Do you want to be more than just a lame man? Too often, <coughs> we limit Jesus to a particular area of our struggle. Too often... Some people think you're just going to come to Christ because he's going to fix a certain area of your life. Too often, we think that Jesus is maybe just a mental knowledge. This is why witnessing to an atheist with arguments most of the time doesn't work. Jesus isn't looking to just win someone's mind. He wants to win somebody's holy. He wants to win the entire person. You see, you can talk to an atheist till you are blue in the face. And if you're trying to tackle a mental issue when the reality is that in people's life there's a spiritual issue. Because I believe ultimately more than Jesus cared about this man being crippled, he cared about his sinful condition. And he wanted him to be made whole. You see, if you ask an atheist, why don't you believe in God? They'll tell you it's because of a lack of evidence. So you start giving them evidence. You start with the teleological argument for God's existence. Then you go to the ontological argument. Then the transcendental argument. And then the argument from morality. And after you spent 45 minutes telling them every proof of God, they still say that your evidence is subjective. See, they don't want evidence. In reality, they don't believe in God because of a lack of evidence. They don't believe because they are a sinner and they love their sin more than they love God. That's every person's condition before we see Jesus as Savior. We love our sin more than God. We make sin an idol. We serve the flesh instead of serving Christ. We limit Jesus to our mind. You know what else we often, often do? We often limit Jesus to our emotions. Jesus didn't ask the man who had been lame for 38 years, Hey, do you want to feel better? Do you want to feel better? Sometimes preachers throw, around, preachers throw around Jesus like some kind of psychological pill. Hey, listen. Jesus will make you feel better. 
Ask Apostle Paul when he was in prison if he felt better. Ask the disciples as they were being uh, uh, murdered for the sake of Christ if they felt better. It's not just about feeling better. Because righteousness is not about feeling. Righteousness is about right being. Jesus doesn't want you to just feel better. He wants you to be better. He wants you to act better. He wants you to live better and worship better. Let me tell you something. Outside of these walls, the carnal-minded sinner who is living to the fullest in their material wealth, they're just living in lust and gluttony of the flesh, they feel just fine. Don't ever offer Jesus or invite someone to church because it's going to help them feel better. Because most people feel just fine. Jesus is not limited to our emotions And lastly, Jesus is not limited to just one area of our life that needs help. I'll give you an example. A lot of times we pray for an alcoholic or invite an alcoholic to church so they can get clean from alcohol. We think that Jesus is some adult form of a pacifier. And if we stick Jesus in their mouth, they won't put other dirty things in their mouth. But see, you don't pray for an alcoholic to get saved from alcohol. You pray for an alcoholic to get saved from hell. This is why I, I get angry a little bit when I hear testimonies that focused on what someone's sin looked like. You hear someone and they, they pay them a lot of money to come and be a, a speaker at some kind of convention. And they were a big sinner that God saved. And they say, well, I was a crack addict. I was a meth addict. I started smoking pot when I was 12. And they go on and on and on. And they speak for 45 minutes trying to make their sin look big instead of making the Savior look big. Jesus didn't save you because you're a drug problem. Jesus saved you because you were on your way to eternal wrath. And he stepped in the way. You see, your drug problem is no different from this person's lust. Your alcohol problem is no different from that person's idolatry. Jesus doesn't care about the size of the sin. He cares about the fact that your soul is tainted, whether it's one or a thousand. It's not the size of the sin. Jesus didn't care that he'd been sick for 38 years. He cares about the man living a wholesome life. Jesus already knows about your condition. The size of your problem doesn't intimidate Jesus. Being sick for 38 years didn't intimidate Jesus. He didn't have to hear that the man had been crippled and ask him to expound upon that. He doesn't look at your past. He looks at your future. Jesus doesn't care where you've come from today. He doesn't care what you did yesterday. He doesn't care how many times you've messed up. He wants to know what you're going to look like tomorrow. He offers hope. My second thing is that Jesus didn't ask for excuses. You see, Jesus didn't ask the man why he was lying there. Jesus didn't go up to him and say, hey, hey, listen, why have you been lying around for 38 years? No, what did Jesus ask him? He says, do you want to be made well? But the man didn't answer Jesus' questions. The man starts giving excuses. He starts defending himself. He starts saying, well, uh, uh, every time the water starts stirring, no one's there to take me into the water. Jesus didn't ask him that. I find this is the case when I ask people if they are ready to trust Christ as their Savior. Last week, I was witnessing to a man at the hospital. I said, sir, are you ready to become a Christian today? He said, well, I I just don't know if I can make it to church every Sunday. I didn't ask you if you could make it to church every Sunday. I asked if you're ready to trust Christ. 
And a lot of times before, before you see Jesus, before that decision is made, there will come up an excuse of my condition prevents me from doing that. Well, you know, I can't trust Christ because my mother didn't treat me right. Or I struggle with some things. Well, praise God, trust Christ because you do struggle with things. Don't let struggle with you things keep you from Jesus. Let struggling with something point you to Jesus. Stop being sorry for yourself. Let me help you out this morning. You need in your own life to start, stop walking around feeling like the victim. I know your last husband hurt you. And your husband before that hurt you. But guess what? We've all been hurt. Guess what? Everybody's been done wrong by somebody. Guess what? We've lost loved ones. Guess what? Everyone's got some kind of problem they're encountering right now. You're not different than the 7 billion other people on this earth that have other problems. Maybe your father didn't treat you right growing up and you feel like you have some kind of condition dealing with people or coming to Jesus. Let me let you in on a little information. Everyone else has problems too. So stop feeling sorry for yourself. Also, when it comes to Jesus, stop passing the blame. You see, this man, it wasn't his mama's fault that he couldn't get in the pool. It wasn't the other sick people's fault that he couldn't get in the pool. There has to come a point in in my life and in your life where we put on our big boy britches and we realize that the condition that we are in is ultimately because God allowed it to happen. Whatever condition you're in, God allowed that. And do you know why God allowed a man to be sick for 38 years? So Jesus' glory could be revealed through him. God hasn't brought you through a situation just to keep you there. God has brought you through a situation because he's a deliverer and he likes delivering people. Stop feeling sorry about it. Stop looking at your problem. Look towards the Savior. You are you. You've got the problems you've got because you were born into sin. The rest of us, since Adam and Eve had children, we were all born into sin. That's where our problems come from. And every problem you have is a result of sin, and the only way you can fix your sin is by fixating your eyes on the solution of sin, and that is Jesus. That's the only fix. I was talking to a guy that's doing uh, some online studies through a Christian university, and he was telling me how he felt like these studies were a little bit of... um, I don't know, not outdated, but he really wasn't getting challenged. And I said, listen, it all has to do with your perspective. You see, I majored in psychology at a secular institution. And they're going to tell you that you got a problem because uh, uh, you were breastfed too long. Or that you got a problem because your parents didn't potty train you correctly. Or that you were born this way and there's no hope. I got some hope. We were all born that way because we were born into sin. And Sigmund Freud or Pavlov is not going to offer you hope for your condition. It is only through the blood of Jesus that there was hope for our condition of sin. I've got a relative that back in the 70s was having emotional battles. And they hooked his brain literally up to electrodes and shocked his brain. That's, that's what 
modern science told them. Science. Listen, go stick your finger in an electrical outlet and see if you feel better. That's what science told them. But if they would have looked at the word of God to see that every problem is a spiritual problem, then the solution could have been focused on. Stop passing the blame. And stop telling Jesus that no one will help you. Here this man is laying at these pools. And there comes Christ. The Word who became flesh. The eternal Son of God who offers life. Freedom from sin and righteousness. And this man says, when Jesus steps up on the scene, the healer of healers, the King of kings steps up on the scene. And the man says, there's no one to help me. That's like Bill Gates coming up to you with a billion dollars. He's saying, I have no one to give me money. The most wealthiest man that you could imagine was standing right before him. The great physician that he'd ever met before was standing right before him. The one who doesn't have to be stirred by an angel, but who was greater than the angels, was standing there. And he says, I have no one. Don't we tell that to God? We start talking to God about our situation. Well, God, people have been treating me bad. God, people have been doing me wrong. And all the while, God's standing there and says, but look what I've done. Look what I did. That's the problem when we look at people instead of Jesus. And that's what the man was doing. He was saying, no one will take me in the water. But the healer was right there. I hear preachers all the time saying, well, we could do this and this in our church if we just had the money. You see, God has the money. It's just in your pockets. (laughs) But honestly, let me tell you, we serve Jehovah Jireh that can provide and will provide. Brother Wade gave a testimony of how God has provided for the past 12 years and God continues to provide. And what happens if we say people don't have money, but God can wake away when, when no one has it. When all you have is five loaves and two fishes, God can make a way. Amen. You see, I really love when I pray with Bella. Because when Bella prays for something, she never asks God. She thanks him. After my surgery, I said, Bella, pray for daddy's ear. And she says, God, I thank you for making daddy's ear feel better. All these babies that we have in the church, me and Bella prayed them here. She says, God, thank you for sending babies to our church. You see, I believe John 14, 13, when Jesus says, whatever you ask for in my name will be given you. That's why Jesus just stood there. He says, listen. Do you want to be made whole? Because he was the only one that could provide it. And lastly, Jesus commands the wholeness of holiness. What I mean by that is Jesus had a greater plan than this man just being able to walk. Jesus had a greater plan than this man just getting up from his condition. Jesus had a plan that this man was going to glorify God. Here's why Jesus wants you to be whole. Jesus doesn't want you to overcome whatever problem you've got just so you can feel better. He wants you to become a vessel for God's glory. 
And that can only happen through wholeness. Because what happened is this man took up his mat and walked and started letting people see him. And wasn't that the guy who's been sick for 38 years? And he's carrying around that mat like a boombox in the ghetto. This was my mat. Yeah, not anymore. Right? Like a wrestler with that weight belt. He's got that mat waving it around. That was his glorification of what Christ had done in his life. Your spirit will be made whole through Christ. When you come to Christ, first off and most importantly is the wholeness of your spirit. Whatever affliction has been in your life, Jesus will bind up the affliction that has bound you. I've seen people set free from pornography, from adultery, from alcoholism, from drug addiction, from homosexuality. I've seen these things because Jesus will bind up what afflictions have bound you. You see, what men couldn't do for him in 38 years, God can do for you for 38 seconds. I don't know, but I'm guessing that's the time it takes to get out of that pew and walk down the aisle and trust Christ as your Savior. That what psychologists and counselors haven't been able to do for you, Christ can do through the blood of Calvary. You say, preacher, why do you have to walk down the aisle to profess Christ? Let me ask you a question. You walk down the aisle to marry a woman, don't you? You walk down the aisle to marry a husband. What about the great bridegroom? What about the bride that we marry for eternity? I just think it's a good idea. If you look at verse 8, he commands the man. He doesn't ask him. See, the man didn't even answer his question. And Jesus says in verse 8, get up, rise. Take up your mat and walk. Jesus commanded his holiness. Jesus didn't say, well, listen, if you want to trust in me today, come on. Come on forward, brother. Jesus didn't ask him. He said, get up. Because Jesus commands holiness. Jesus commands that you, Christian, that you walk in victory. He commands that you now have dominion over what had dominion over you. He commands that you are a walking testimony of his power so that everyone who sees you will be in awe of God's work upon your life. And Jesus didn't tell him to get up and leave your mat. He said, get up and take the mat. You see, Jesus wanted him to carry what for his life had been carrying him. That mat was a sign of his affliction. That mat was a sign of his lifelong condition. But now that mat was a sign of his victory and a sign of his Savior. You see, too often we're quiet about what God has delivered us from. Well, preacher, I'm really an alcoholic. And God set me free, but I don't want to tell anybody. Let me tell you something. You tell somebody, friend, because that's God's deliverance upon your life. That's his mighty work that should be shared. God has delivered me. Not only your spirit will be made whole, but I believe this, that through salvation your body will be made whole. John 14, 27 says this, Jesus told his disciples, my peace I leave with you. I want you to think about that for a second. The peace that Jesus had for 33 years, he gives to you. You think that Jesus woke up one day and said, I wonder if my heavenly father will give me food today. I wonder if I'll have shelter I wonder if Jesus had to wake up like that, Tommy. I don't think so. I think he woke up every day with peace that God was going to provide for his own son. And here's what happens in salvation. You take the place that Christ held. 
You now become a child of God. And if God took care of Jesus, God's going to take care of you. My peace, I leave with you. I wonder if Jesus woke up and said, hmm, I think I'm getting the flu. No, I don't believe he ever did that. I believe that Jesus was the walking picture of holiness. I believe he was the walking picture of health and vitality. And let me tell you something. If Jesus got every day having confidence in his health, then how much more, if he leaves his peace with us, should you and I be confident? I believe he exuded life. And a common cold was never going to stick with an uncommon savior. Y'all may think I'm crazy. If you don't already... I haven't been sick in 16 months. Haven't taken a sick day, a sick day in over a year, almost a year and a half. You know why? I start getting a sniffle and I start proclaiming John 14, 27, the peace of the Messiah over my body. In your financial situation, you start proclaiming the peace of the Messiah. In your job situation, you start claiming the peace of the Messiah, that you have been made whole through Calvary. Your body will be made whole. I believe this, that your marriage will be made whole. Somebody said, should have said amen on that one. I believe your finances will be made whole. I believe your parenting skills will be made whole. I believe your children will be made whole. That your household will be made whole. And last but not least, I believe that through Jesus, your eternity will be made whole. Because there waits for you a home in glory. My invitation today is this. Do you want to be made whole? Too often we say, do you want to accept Christ into your heart? But that's not what Jesus came to give. He came to give you life abundantly. Jesus didn't come so you can just make a decision. He came so you can make a vessel for his glory to be displayed in The decision to trust Christ is not just a decision to say a prayer. It's the decision to take up your mat and walk. And whatever bound you for those years, now you bind it in the name of Jesus. And start living a life of victory. Here's what I want to do with every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you whole? You say, no preacher... There's a sin I've been struggling with. It's had me in affliction for years and years and years. It's had me bound for three years or for 30 years. I believe that Jesus is going to conquer that in your life today. Maybe your marriage is not whole. Maybe you're dealing with some sort of family situation that is not whole. If there is an area in your life that has not made, been made through, been made whole through the blood of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you can say this morning, preacher, there's an area in my life that I need the wholeness of the Messiah. Just raise your hand. Just lift up your hand. No one looking around. Just lift up your hand. Say, preacher, I need to be made whole. Amen. 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 Hands all over the sanctuary this morning. First of all, I don't want to make the assumption. If you've never had the chance to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
to experience that invitation to wholeness that comes through his price on the cross. I want to invite you to do that. First, would you just say, between you and God, would you admit your condition? Like I've said, we've been born into sin. Would you just admit between you and God that you are a sinner? That we have failed. We've come short of God's God's glory. Would you just admit that? Secondly, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved in your heart, in your mind, between you and God. Would you say, God, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And the latter part of Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. I'm going to ask you to do something with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you can say, Pastor, I'm believing in Jesus Christ today to be my Lord and Savior. I'm making it official. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Anybody else? I'm making Jesus Lord and Savior today. I'm accepting his wholeness today. Anybody else? Just lift that hand up. Praise God. Praise God. If you said that, if you said that, I want you to do do me a favor. Every head bowed. If you said that.